Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to another very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. I am beyond excited about today's episode. Um, I've been trying to uh, get my guests on for quite a while now and the universe aligned, the stars aligned. I am huge... Uh, I am huge fans of my guest today. Uh, their book, Getting the Love You Want, A Guide for Couples, is, uh, I first read this book, I think, wow, 16, seven, six, must have been, I think it was like 2000, 2001, 2002 in that oh. zone. And it was uh, truly life-changing. If you haven't read this book, Getting the Love You Want, I would say get it now. For me, it is, in my estimation, my humble opinion, the most pivotal foundational relationship book of all time. It is a classic. Uh, I, I've been really impacted by this book. And so uh, my guests today, Harville Hendricks and Helen LaKelly Hunt, are internationally respected couple therapists, educators, speakers, New York Times bestselling authors. Together, uh, they've written over 10 books, selling over more than four million copies, um, and uh, Harville's been on, on Oprah over, I think, 17 times, and the pair, they're also co-creators of the amazing Imago Relationship Therapy. Harville, Helen, welcome to Soul Talk. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having us on. It's really great. It's really great. Again, your book, uh, honestly, I don't know how you wrote it. I don't know how you channeled it. I don't know how, the way you've put the book together so systematically, literally, it just nails every point of relationship that uh, it's just really profound. So thank you for your work. Uh, for those that just may not know of you and your work, I would love just a little synopsis and I'm gonna dive into a bunch of questions, but um, I'd love to know just a bit about like how you both got into this field, what, what was the inspiration for that? And I'd also just love to know uh, how you both met and. And just kind of how, how that was as we dive in. I'm curious. So um, well, why don't I start and you, you fill in the color. Okay, I often do the little story, but if you'd like. Well, I, I would like to start. Okay. And the reason I would like to start is how we got into this and what we're into is so largely a function of Helen's intuitions and her awarenesses and contributions. I'm a more of a structured, systematic system builder. Helen is a insightful, intuitive person. So we, we, um, we, we balance each other with, uh, with our different talents and different inputs. And we started that uh, in 1977 uh, when we met for the first time, which is now 40 three years, 43 years ago, and we've been married um, all but five of those years, so 37, 37 year, 38 year marriage, and 43 year relationship. Mm. And um, we got, so we got into this business that led to the book that you're talking about, probably on our first date, uh, uh, sort wow. of, and the first date was, um, uh, we got into the question, we were both divorced, and which is why we were dating uh, at our ages. And we got into the question of how come, how come people get divorces? And how come we're divorced? I mean, hey, look, I'm a university professor, you know, and you have your graduate education, and you've been a teacher and blah, 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 blah. So we're all, we're, we're good people. How come we're, how come we're out <laughs> on the streets um, uh, alone? 
And so we raised the question, why do couples fight? Mm-hmm. And we talked, so, well, then why do, why, why do we fight? Then they got to, why does anybody fight? And that question became a research question that we followed for uh, probably uh, six years. We worked on that question, and that was the creation of the original text for the book, which then got written in 1988. But without Helen, the book wouldn't have been written. She uh, stayed with me and on me and contributed to, and so it was a, truly a co-creation. So that's how we all got started. And Helen has her own take on this that she wants to share. Well, I often tell the story of my meeting Harville and, and how I ultimately, when he was talking about a book he wanted to write, well, I proposed to him. I asked him if he would marry me and I would love to help the book get written. But um, given that Harville has told the story, I, I, I'll just chime in and say that um, um, just just for you to know, um, I sometimes uh, tell people, Coot, that I never come up with a good idea. Mm. I don't have good ideas, but I spot them. And that when I, I spot a good idea. And mm. so, so I true. thought Harville's, the, this book he wanted to write, uh, if, I said, if you could wave a magic wand, uh, what do you want to do with your life in the future? And he said, uh, there's a couple things, but he said, I'd really like to write a book about why do couples fight? Why does the dream become a nightmare? Mm. And I, I asked him more and more. It was just amazing. And then the second thing is I am great with marketing. So <laughs> yes. I, right. <laughs> so I know how to get things. I know how to get things done and market them well. So mm. I love getting to be a duo to him. I love it. You know, you raise a question like well, why do couples fight? I wanted to... You know, I've been thinking of love and, you know, the process of two totally different people, different backgrounds, different childhoods, you know, coming together and they sit together and they connect and somehow there's the connection, right? And they fall in love. And I've been thinking, what a wild and amazing thing it is for like two universes to come together and fall in love. And so... I have so many questions. I guess the first question is what, what happens when we fall in love? We often say, Oh, I'm in love with you. Oh, I'm in love with you. But like, yeah, what is the process of like falling in love? Because I look back, there were many times I thought I was in love and I think, what was I thinking? That wasn't love. You know, I was not in love. That was craziness. And so, What happens when we fall in love? Let's start there. And then I want to go into like, how does the dream become a nightmare? Yeah. Well, and and the way we fall in love and why we fall in love is why the dream becomes a nightmare. Our theory about that, which we've worked on uh, starting in in the mid-70s, that we summarized in getting is that when you fall in love, um, some part of your mind that is unconscious matches memories in your mind of your caretakers Mm. with the person that you meet wherever you meet them uh, at church or at work or in a bar or on the street. And when the um, memories that you collected in childhood from birth on, uh, and the, the, those memories form a, let's just say for the simplicity, a picture. They form a, it's not a delineated like a photograph, but it's more like a, an impressionistic picture of a type of personality. When, it, when that, it forms that picture, and when somebody shows up in your world that matches that picture, you, it triggers a, a, um, a, a neurochemical response, you know, with endorphins and Uh, dopamine and so forth are triggered. Now, the thing about that is there's still the question, well, why would that trigger you? Mm. Uh, Just because there's a match. But it's a special kind of match. Because in childhood, you had a special kind of experience with your caretakers in which you did not get needs met. Mm. And those needs leave you in, uh, and those needs were about survival. But you didn't have language. You couldn't talk about it. 
but but your whole system, your whole brain, your whole being is about survival. And if you don't get certain needs met when you're uh, an infant and early child, uh, those that survival directive is triggered. And it's triggered in relation to the person who's not giving you what you need to survive. So the brain prints on that person and says, you've got to get what you have to get from a person from whom you didn't get it, or a reasonable facsimile of that person. Mm-hmm. So obviously you're not going to meet your mother or your father. You're going to meet somebody who triggers the memory of mom and dad, mm-hmm. especially in the area of mom and dad's biggest limitation for you, because that's where the biggest need is. So the brain goes wild because it says, I'm not going to die after all. I'm going to get this need met now. Here's mom and dad. Here's that resource that I need. And so you have this enormous neurochemical response and you move toward that person. And the interesting thing is you have feelings like familiarity. Seems like I've known you forever. Right. Gosh, I, now that I know you, I, don't, I can't imagine living without you. Uh, you somehow seem familiar, but I can't imagine why I've never seen you before. So you say things. So with putting together all of that, we came to the uh, theory that that was what we call an imago match. The inner, inner, ma- inner picture matches the outer person, and that causes the falling in love. Now, what happens that then is you live in an uh, idealization uh, for a long time expecting that this good stuff that you didn't get in childhood, which you can't even put into language, mm-hmm. is going to happen, and that is going to happen automatically. Uh, like in childhood, you didn't have to ask for your parents' attention. They were supposed to give it, so it's going to happen automatically. But the person you're married to is like the person who didn't give it to you. So they can't give it to you, and certainly they're not going to automatically do it. So at some point, you're going to say, hey, uh, you didn't hug me, or um, you didn't call me, or we haven't had sex recently, or when are you going to do what? And I'm waiting for something. And that person has no idea what you're talking about, but they have the same question of you. Mm-hmm. So then the, the, the dream dissolves then into the nightmare of the disillusionment and disappointment. So those are the two first phases, we think, of all relationships. Mm-hmm that you fall in love that way and you fall out of love that way. And we got interested in, well, the third stage, how do you, how do you make that happen? What was supposed to happen, that has to happen. How does that couple who came together, neither one with the ability to do what they needed, how do they do it? And so that's what Imago Therapy is all about, is helping them discover how they can um, actually finish childhood together. How, how how do you before I ask the other you trigger the question but but how do you know is there such a thing as a healthy connection you know because it's almost like you're saying you feel this connection with someone and you feel the familiarity and drawn and trying to get something is that a sign that oh maybe I shouldn't go there or. Maybe maybe I should avoid this connection because, you know, Harvard and Helen are saying, well, watch out, you know, this might be, that maybe that's the sign. I shouldn't go there. I should go maybe connect with someone who I don't quite feel that with. I mean, can you guide me there? Like, how, how do you know what, what a real connection is versus I'm seeking to get an unmet need? Well, it's a great question. And unfortunately, the answer is very disappointing. You don't have a choice. Don't have a choice. You will not be attracted to a person who will not frustrate you. Whoa. You will not be attracted to a person that will not frustrate you? Exactly. It doesn't sound too hopeful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, see, the, the, the universe or nature, whoever set it up, that in order to get the childhood need met, you have to get it met with somebody similar to the person with whom it was frustrated. So you always be attracted to a person similar to the frustrating caretaker, meaning they don't have the resources, just like the caretaker didn't have those resources. So that creates the impasse. So you could say, well, I'm not going to be with anybody whom I'm attracted to. 
Well, you can do that, but it won't be very exciting. It won't be much energy and be like a good friend. And, and you might, you know, get along and have a, have a, a best friend marriage, but it won't have the juice. Uh, that juice comes with the unconscious connecting of incompatibilities. Mm. Incompatibilities is the ground for a great relationship. Now, I know it doesn't make any sense, which is why it took us so long to figure this out. Because, can you say, can you say that again? In, in, incompatibilities is a ground for a great relationship? Did I, I actually hear that? You did. Can, can you? you you got to break that down for us. Okay. Ellen, you want to break that down? Well, it's all about growth. You know, yeah. becoming, you know, learning to become um, a person of love. I love that. When I met Harville, he had already said there are three stages of every relationship um, uh, that's a love relationship. Mm-hmm. Romance is stage one. Stage two is the power struggle. And stage three is real love. Mm-hmm. And so everyone who falls in love, uh, th- you know, there's a phrase that opposites attract. But opposites attract. I mean, nature is dyadic. There's hot coal. There's sweet sour there's um mm-hmm. there's a lot of opposites in nature and we believe that couplehood they were drawn to someone different um because it's exciting mm-hmm. like the other you know i don't know why nature makes it this way but you fall head over heels in love and you go what am i thinking you know mm-hmm. but that's love for you and then it's always followed by what he labeled at that time the power struggle because mm-hmm. once the romance wears off, you realize there are things about the other person that frustrate you. And uh, what do you do about those frustrations? Well, both, it's a growth opportunity. Mm-hmm. And once you both commit to growth, you can move into real love. Yeah. Where, you, where, you, where you dedicate to love somebody else and commit to their growth. And it's, the relationship isn't just about you. Yeah. It's also about them. Because sh- there's a phrase, um, Coot, that I heard and, and I use when I talk about uh, our work is uh, for those of you or anyone who makes it to an altar and they're talking to the, um, you know, the person uh, managing the, the wedding, they uh, often at the end it's, okay, bride, you know, the couple, you are now one. And, you know, you came here as two and you have wed, your souls are together and you are now one. Congratulations, you're married. And both of you are thinking, yay, I'm the one. I got to love me. Oh, my goodness. They're just they're just going to dedicate their life to me. They said they would. They said they love me. And that's all about it. And they're just thinking, it's me. I'm going to get what I've always wanted. And that's that's normal and then they're just shocked one day to wake up the other person also thought it was about their (laughs) 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 about their needs not your needs and you're going but wait yeah and it this this idea of incompatibility yes what took us a long time to say is the grounds for a great marriage it was like well just incompatibility but we have to you know, accept that and work on getting to real love. But what we discovered is that the more incompatible you are, the better relationship potential you have. Because what it means is Helen has so much that's different from me that I have not developed in my uh, mind or life. So living with her, I activate parts of me that I couldn't activate without her her as a pole, as a polarity, and vice versa. So like, for instance, uh, that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, my emotions were pretty much shut down in childhood and Helen's weren't. So I've kind of learned to be an emotional person with Helen. And, in, and, uh, and Helen grew up in a family where women were not stroked for being intelligent and smart. So her intellect it was highly developed, but it was not like, what would you say, organized in a kind of left brain linear way? Yeah, there are things in Helen that she, uh, you know, were, were, were uh, developed or left alone in her life, like her feeling side. Everybody has a natural feeling side. I have one too, but it got shut down when I was little. So I'm looking for feelings. 
And so when I see Helen across the crowded room, here's a vibrant, alive person. My feeling, undeveloped feeling side wants to connect with that. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, uh, since my feelings were, were shut down in childhood, uh, it's dangerous for me to have feelings. So I will say to her, hey, you, you're just expressing too much feelings. You can't have all those feelings. In other words, I give her the messages I got. You got to be thoughtful. Think, think, rational, make decisions. Um, and, uh, and, and Helen is saying, well, you know, she, she's got feelings. Uh, and she's feeling about this and she's experiencing this. So I finally, and, and I finally understand that I need to develop my feeling side to be able to relate to Helen's feelings. Mm-hmm. She needs to develop her cognitive side to relate to my, the fact that I'm kind of a left brain linear uh, dry thinker. And, but when you put together two people who are um, not rejecting each other's intellect on the one hand and feelings on the other, but holding intellect and feelings in tension, then mm. both grow into those two pieces. So it seems nature set it up to not only meet somebody in adulthood with whom you could get the needs met you didn't get met in childhood, but to finish the developing the parts of you you didn't get developed when you were little. So marriage mm. is not only about getting needs met, but it's about growing into your undeveloped wholeness. So mm. without it being a polarity, there would be no inner energetic pull. Mm. So we say to people, the more incompatible you are, the more potential a relationship has, unless you turn the poles into polarization. Mm. Turn the poles into polarization, then of course you'll have a catastrophe. But if you hold the poles in tension, and become creative, you'll both grow into new undeveloped parts of yourself. Mm. And that's worked so remarkably for Helen and me because between us, we have now 14 books wow. out. And we have a, we, we just sometimes look at our lives and say, how do we wind up here? And right now we, are, we have just launched a global mission to teach um, safe conversations to three and a half billion people in the next 20 years. And it's all because this energy is that we, we just keep feeding each other's energy and you and creative things keep emerging out of that. And wow. so we are an example of the fact that polar, that the uh, incompatibility is the is uh, great for your creativity and growth. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's a really profound idea. As you start realizing what you're saying, how does one begin in a relationship, how do couples begin to get their needs met in healthy ways? Yeah. Well, can you, can you talk a bit about that? So, so that there's not this never ending trying to like get a need met, but it's never met. And you're in a relationship where your needs are never met. Yeah. And so in, in, I guess kind of give us some guidance there. Like how does that happen in a healthy way? So we have a new definition of a relationship. Mm. Uh, some people say a, a relationship is two people who know each other or something like that. And when we work with people who want to improve their relationship, we say a, de- a relationship is two people and the space between them. Uh-huh. And you might think, well, what's the big deal? Uh, there's nothing there. I mean, space is empty. It's invisible. There ain't nothing there. Well, it's actually an energy field. And, um, and uh, you asked earlier, sort of like, what goes wrong? Uh, suddenly, people can be together in a relationship. And if either of them begins to feel put down, anxiety, they get anxious, and, and, and they don't know what to do because... Um, if they were, if they ever fell in love, and if ever, ever they were, they were attracted to each other, there was a safety in the space between, because they were so excited to be together. They looked at each other with a look in their eye that was loving. Their facial expression was loving. They probably like right now. You were using such a kind tone of voice with us. I think you care about us. Like I don't know if you talk that way to everybody, but look, you know. My tone of voice when I met Harwell was so loving and respectful all the time. Well, he felt safe with me because of the way I related to him. 
Um, but if I just am busy one day and uh, maybe I'm frustrated with something on my iPhone, I just got this horrible email and he asked me a question. I sort of snap at him because I'm frustrated. But suddenly he, he's feeling anxious and maybe I um, say something. I, I actually think it's a joke. I'm trying to be funny and it's not funny to him or mm. something. Anyway, any little thing can happen and suddenly he feels uh, disrespected or put down. So when two people feel safe, they connect. Mm-hmm. Mm. If there's any anxiety, or either of them is wondering what's going on, or, or did I upset you? The anxiety people withdraw. What Imago and what Safe Conversation does is a simple, simple process on how to bring safety back. And basically, if two people will commit to using the three steps of dialogue, uh, if someone says something and say, instead of reacting, if you say, well, let me see if I got that. Did I hear you say da-da-da? And, and is there more about that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and make sure you heard them right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, if you make a commitment to zero negativity, you can restore safety in the between where the two people can connect oh. again. Mm-hmm. And so to, to, to frame what Helen is saying in terms of need satisfaction, the other thing that we have um, been surprised to discover is that when you look at, um, say, a thousand couples' needs, mm. uh, you discover that all of them are about one thing. Hmm. So you don't have to satisfy a thousand needs. You have to satisfy the one that's behind the thousand. Mm. And what we discovered that is, and I think this is the way to put it, is the need to experience being the other person. I need you to I need you to be present to me, to see me, to uh, affirm me, to um and, and probably that's it. I need you to see me, be present to me, and affirm me. Now we know that in childhood, every human being who suffered had caretakers with whom they didn't experience what we now, we put all that under the word connecting. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the connecting didn't happen. They didn't feel seen by their caretakers, didn't feel affirmed by their caretakers, and, uh, and they didn't, and therefore didn't feel safe with the caretakers. Mm-hmm. So, what happened is you have, a, you have a relational dynamic in infancy and childhood. And if that dynamic isn't one in which you thrive, because mm. it has the features of safety, connecting, visibility, affirmation, if it doesn't have the ingredients, like a plant, if it doesn't have the fertilizer, can't grow. So in adulthood, we used to say, and Helen, you remember, we would go through trying to find your need. Um, and we found that, you know, it's like you're tiring. And after a while, it was like we discovered that behind all the particular needs, there's a universal need. Mm. So now we just simply go straight to that, which means that through the dialogue process that Helen just talked about, the learning to talk with each other, uh, with a kind uh, tone of voice, with a kind look in your eye, um, and, uh, and, and being present during the conversation and listening deeply and holding it and talking respectfully and warm and kindly. What you're doing is creating this space between that Helen was talking about, the space in between. Mm-hmm. You're creating a space between. This is an energy field. Mm-hmm. So you're creating an energy field which, in which you resonate. If you're safe enough, her energy, her life energy resonates with my life energy and our bodies. Mm. And now we're actually experiencing what we think is what should be normal human experiencing. And probably most infants and their caretakers experience that for a little while, maybe mm. a few weeks or a few months when they're little. But, but we haven't evolved enough as a species to know we need to stay connected to the infant uh, and childhood you know, in a, in, and have an environment within which the child feels safe to play mm-hmm. it spontaneous and do all the things that human beings do. So it's really this, that you recreate, you create an environment in which you can be free 
can feel happy. You can play. Spontaneous play is the singular best indicator of a thriving relationship. Is it how mm. I can play together spontaneously? We don't have to go play tennis. We can just play, you know, like right now. Uh, I'm surprised that uh, Helen sometimes. <laughs> I'll do it so, now. So, so we get it. We can just get into spontaneous play. So as long as we feel safe enough to play, then we are not in a need place. But if I back away and don't pay attention to Helen, don't uh, include her in my comments and I'm looking away while she's talking, I'm creating a, a disconnecting environment. So what we learn to say to couples to answer your question, what do they have to do? is learn how to be present to each other. Uh, and the dialogue process that we teach couples is a technology that helps people learn to do that. And when they build it into their lives, then they create a chronic environment of safety where they feel uh, joyfully alive all the time. And if they, they also, none of us can do that all the time. So if you get, you know, one day you have a bad day and you blow it, and you frown or growl or something, then you have a quick repair process. Mm. So you want to get that repaired in five minutes so that your brain doesn't habituate to the separation. Because you know if you ruminate about it a little bit too long, it gets worse. So you want to, if you get a, if you get a rupture, fix it now. It's like flat tire, put the air in it, quick. What, what, what is the, 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 you said the repair process. Can you speak a bit about what, what, what that uh, well, first, when you were talking about things that can feel unsafe, another is if, if you're if you feel if the person feels like you're judging them, uh -huh. if there's a judgmental tone, and um, and we we uh, and we talk about uh, turning a frustration into a request. Mm. Um, but in terms of the repair process, what we um, learn to do is when there's safety, if things are great, and if one of us does something that's an what we call an ouch, or it feels like a put down, we just uh, say ouch, or whoops, I just felt put down, and can we repair? And, mm -hmm. um, and then the repair process is um, uh, saying, w would you be willing to have said that differently to me? Like you could make the same point, but to say it with a kinder look in your eye and a kind tone of voice. Oh, that's called a redo. Can we redo that transaction? Mm. And you just say it uh, in a way that I'm not feeling put down. Mm -hmm. um, and here's, here's what that might look like. And if the other person goes, oh, okay, I'll say it that way, then it's a repair for me. Or you can mm. have a dialogue or you can, you know. Oh. And sometimes you may just need a hug. And so we have um, a list of things that can bring about a repair. An apology can do it. A hug, apology, flowers, chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> ice cream, dialogue. You know, or, or can we see? Can we have a session with a therapist? Because uh, it's important, and I really think we yeah, need to talk yeah, it through. If, yeah, right. If you can't do it by <laughs> yourselves, then get help quick. Because what you want is a constant flow of free un negative energy, positive energy between the two of you. Mm -hmm. and, and if you go negative, it ruptures that. Then mm -hmm. you feel alone. So you want to restore, pull that that problem out so the energy can flow again. And and couples can learn. The amazing thing is couples can learn. It doesn't even take them three years anymore. You used to, like my, my average length of couple back when I was in early in practice would be uh, two to three years. And we can teach couples this in six months. Wow. Uh, actually, we can teach it to them. We could say we can, we do much better than that. We do it mainly now on weekends and in intensive workshops mm. and, and couples in the workshop. You've got a hundred people and hundred couples in a workshop. They can all get this and go home with it. What they don't go home with um, is the commitment, although it's not our fault to practice it every practice. Yeah, it's the practice. It's like tennis. If you don't go practice, don't imagine being a good tennis player. Mm -hmm. But you have to practice every day, and you have to practice the right thing. I remember the other day you said that so clearly. It's good to practice, but you have to know what to practice. Mm -hmm. And for us, it's three things. Dialogue process. When you talk, I'm going to mirror it back. I'm going to go zero negative, meaning 
I'm not going to uh, do put down. It's and not what you it. say, it's how you say it. Can, right. can you share a bit more about, I heard you say that earlier, Ellen, zero right. negativity. Just can you expound on what you mean by like zero negativity? I mean, that sounds like, whoa, what a high standard, you know? So, so, so yeah, the, uh, that sounds scary. Mm-hmm. Like, well, wait, that's, I can't be authentic. Like if yeah. I can't handle my yeah. problems, I, you know, I can't be authentic. And so, I can't say what I'm feeling, you know? So yes. again, we, the phrase we like people to take to heart is it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Mm. Because if there are very serious issues, just to go uh, to that person and say, um, I adore you. I, I want to have a great relationship. Um, I think we need a session with a therapist. You know, mm. you can ask for that. And there are wonderful mm. amount of therapists all over the world and safe conversations. Do you know what safe conversations is? Mm. Have you ever heard that term? Can you please share more? Safe conversations. And he said he wanted to take Imago therapy. It, it's a powerful, effective therapy mm. that Oprah marketed a lot. Again, mm. you want. He said the process is so simple. You can teach this in school. Kids mm. can learn this. And let's get this, um, in addition to the therapy being strong and, and important, let's get it, quote, out of the clinic, into the public, and just mm. share it all over. And it's called Safe Conversations. And it's mm. basically a process to use that does not require a therapist. You, many people, one, five, ten therapists with this, sessions with a therapist, it makes the world of difference some people do not need to go to therapy and they can do it at home right um and i think we'd say most people don't need to go to therapy mm -hmm. those who need to go need to go so we need therapy. yeah Uh, but probably 10 percent of the people who go to therapy we've found can take uh educational training like we can teach Mm -hmm. you how to do safe conversations Mm-hmm. Or another word for it is dialogue, the Imago dialogue. Mm-hmm. And we can teach you what zero negativity is. If you do this structured conversation, zero negativity means that you pledge that you will talk without criticizing oh. and listen without judging. Um, and, that, and convert frustrations into a request. Yeah, instead don't of yeah, you never. Don't what you don't like. Uh, very kindly ask for an yeah. appointment. And say, as when they're available, say, you know what? Um, when so and so happens, sometimes we do X, but what I would really love is if we could handle it this way and handle it that way, or mm-hmm. if you could say it differently to me, and that would engage me, and I, I could be, yeah. we could work towards solutions around this issue. Yeah. And, and another piece of this elaborated is, um, and that the, the so you can have that interaction, but also if I have a frustration, I can I can say now wait a minute. Every frustration is an embedded wish has a has a wish hidden in it. Mm. I, or otherwise, I wouldn't be frustrated if I had my wish. Uh, right, so what is right. it that I'm wanting here? And I'll stop and think. Well, let's see. I want Helen to. Um, I know, one that I had this morning, which which was okay. I want Helen, when I walk into the room and hold up my finger, to say to the person on the phone, just a moment, Harville is in the room, I want to talk to him. So, so, I, that, so that's a wish. Instead of going in the room and saying, Helen, you're on the phone, I can't get your attention, and it's really frustrating, mm. I can and say, um, uh, walk into the room, and Helen knows this is a wish, that when I walk into the room and hold up my finger, she knows I would like to have a short uh, transaction with her, like, when are we going to have dinner? Well, it's not a conversation I want, just I need to know something to make the... To function. To, to function. Mm-hmm. And I want Helen to say, uh, Mary, uh, uh, can you hold on just a minute? Uh, I want to speak to Harville. And she'll take the phone down, and I will say, what time would you like dinner tonight? And she'll say, oh, well, you know, whenever. And then she goes back. Now I'm fine. But if she doesn't do that, then it does trigger 
the unavailable caretaker I had in childhood. Got it. You see, see what I mean? Mm. And so that you have to ask for what you want, however, instead of complaining about what you're not getting. Because mm. if I complain about it, then she's not interested in talking to me. Mm. But I'm if busy. I, <laughs> she's busy. But mm. if I say, hey, I've got a need here, which is, and mm. it's a criticism of you, it's my need. I'm just asking, mm. would, you, would you respond to that? You know, so, I, 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 I'm curious because it's, it's so powerful. Like, and I, I hope I say this question, you know, in, in, in the right way. How do you know when your need is something you're, sometimes we, I guess sometimes we have needs yeah. that maybe weren't met. And how do we know the difference between kind of making someone the source or responsible for that need and trying to like get them to meet that need to a point where maybe it's not healthy? Yeah. Can, can that, do you get what I'm saying? Like, and making them the source of the fulfillment of that need and we become kind of codependent. And so where is the line? Where is the difference? How do I know? Is this a healthy need that I need to meet within myself? How much is, is it their responsibility to meet that need within me? And it kind of help me discern, help us discern that. Yeah. Well, I think the way I would re respond to that is that if you have a frustration mm. more than three times, it's the mm. same frustration, you know it comes from childhood. Mm. And you know that your partner didn't cause it. Mm. It's a memory that gets triggered by your partner. But your partner didn't deliberately trigger it. Your partner is just being Mary who are George or whoever he is. But being that person triggers a memory in you. Mm. And you say, uh, and that's to get this need met, but your brain assigns it to, to your partner. Mm -hmm. But the way you know not to do that is if this is, uh, happens three times, we call that chronic, it's more than likely, we'd say 99% of the time from childhood. So there's where it's really important to say, oh my God, um, so every time I go in the room three times, I'm frustrated with Helen being on the phone. That reminds me I couldn't get my mother's attention. I finally mm -hmm. figured that out. I must, or if I haven't done any childhood work, I can imagine I must not have gotten my mother's or father's attention. So what do I need? Um, but we, we know you have to have instruction to do what we're talking about. Couples can't figure it out by themselves. They have to read a book. They have to go to a, uh, a, a workshop, uh, go to therapy, or hear a speech, or do something to get these ideas because they're not in the culture. They don't teach them in uh, don't teach them in high school or college. You, you have it's 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 post school learning. Mm -hmm. So people have to have that, which is why we have gone to mass large movements of teaching couples, you know, uh, hundreds and thousands at a time. Yeah. So what we, um, we can handle anything and keep safety in the between with three things, a commitment to dialogue, knowing each other's childhood challenge, like remembering that Harville has had pain, the most, what's the most painful thing he experienced. And when I do that, it reminds him of the childhood, and then I have two. Mm -hmm. And when you identify your childhood challenge, you can learn, if you language it, they, you can begin to have empathy. Yeah. For <clears throat> and the third thing is a commitment to zero negativity. Yeah. So if there are only three things someone needs to do. Now, mm -hmm. the other thing is, so that's what Safe Conversations is, those three things, as well as Imago. Those three mm -hmm. things will transform any relationships. Mm -hmm. In addition to the fact that there are two people. Mm. So, uh, have you ever heard of Martin Buber? Yes. About the I now relationship. Mm -hmm. that most people have a relationship and it's an I it. Like, I'm so glad you're going to meet my needs. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what he's saying about me. So, I'm an it to meet his needs. And he should be meeting my needs. So that's an I-it. And Martin Buber said when two people will shift from the I-it and they become an I'm here to help you, mm. 
help meet your needs. If both people do it at the same time, mm-hmm. that love enters mm-hmm. the real love enters the relationship. Can you say? Can you repeat that? If both people do it at the same time, shift from the I it to the I thou. If both people go, I'm here to meet your needs. And I'm here to meet your needs. If both people say that at the same time, Martin Buber says the universal energy of love becomes flows between the two people and into the space between. So here's how I would answer your question, Kud. Well, we think that like every day of the month, um, people... Uh, like if it's two people, the relationship, maybe it's a primary relationship. Um, in our case, on the calendar, every odd day of the month, one, three, five, seven, it's my day to be on duty, where by the end of the day, Harville makes, I want to make sure he feels like I've met his needs those days. Mm. And then the, the even days on the second, on the fourth, on the sixth, on the eighth and the tenth, half of the month, I my job is to make him feel loved. I want to make sure that by the, but hopefully we're both doing that every day, but if there's a rupture or an ouch, we go to our calendar and we say, now what day is it? Okay, yeah. it's my job to make Arvel feel loved. So in other words, we take turns. Yeah. We, it's a mutual commitment to meet each other's need. And then I want to say something very quickly and then go back to your question. Did you, did you know that Coot's um, dad is a spiritual healer yes. in West Africa? And Coot, we have been taking, some people have taken safe conversations to Africa. And they are interested in the whole continent becoming a safe conversation continent. I am, I, I am really like loving this conversation. I have a few more questions if it's okay while I have you here. Can you talk about for those that might have this fear of losing oneself in relationship, uh, um, we want love that shows up and now we're like terrified. And, and can, can you kind of help someone who's listening in that may have the fear, like, can you help us navigate that piece, the fear of losing myself and that dance that happens within oneself? Well, I think, yes, that, that that's... Um a pretty common fear that, um, and I think it usually, if you put content into that fear, it's that I'm not going to be seen. I'm going to have to be absorbed into my partner's needs and um, I'll never, never be visible. Um, And that uh, I can't ask for what I want. And this is where we say we need, we need a, we need a global educational process to say, that's not unusual, sir, that you would feel that. And here's what you can do about it. There's some very simple skills to learn. And one of them is what Helen mentioned uh, earlier, which is ask for what you want. It's a, uh-huh. you may have to practice that. So if you, but if you're kind of feeling uh, that you're being absorbed by your partner, you can say, uh, Hold on a minute. Could we? It's we call it the appointment process. This is another thing. All conversations should begin with an appointment. Like, is now a good time to talk with you about something? Mm-hmm. So, uh, cute is now a good time for me to uh, to to say something to you about how what I'm experiencing mm. and what I'm needing. And so then I'll say, you know, what I'm really needing right now is for you to just. Uh, just be present to me while I'm talking for a few minutes and that touch me while I'm talking or uh, tell me that you can do it later or something. In other words, learn what you need and then to ask for it. That's not getting then lost in the other person's world. And then the second thing, which is amazing, so much of this is paradoxical, that if I do that, I mean, if your partner does that and asks me for something, and I respond to it, I get what I give. Because my brain is designed to receive what it gives. Mm. Can't just give something and not get something. Mm. But it doesn't ask for something. It can get it without asking for it. In other words, when I smile at Helen, I produce neurochemistry in, in Helen, and I produce a mirror run of neurochemistry in me. So, mm. so, so 
So the couples have to move into some sort of equity about that. But they do need a skill. This is what, what we want to say. Is, yes, yes. I mean, it took us 30 years to figure this out. Um, and, and, and we're trying now to, to make up for it and teach it, you know, as we said, at a global level. Um, but, the, but there's some things just be, be aware that you're feeling like you're disappearing into somebody else and just say, hey, can I have an appointment? In other words, show mm. you're out of that. But if you don't show up, then you'll slide into it. Yeah. I, I, like what you said, just the awareness is really important. Awareness. Uh, the awareness and the willingness to, to dialogue. Do something. You can't just be aware. We spent mm-hmm. a lot of our career helping people be aware mm-hmm. without do something. But what we discovered is awareness without action doesn't get anything done. Mm, I love that. Because your brain needs to do something. It needs not only to know, oh, that the lay of the land is different, but nothing changes except awareness. Then you mm-hmm. have to towards your partner, do something with your partner. Do mm-hmm. something that's different. Now your brain grows a new neuron. Got it. Got it. Neurons. Do, do something. The key is not just awareness, it's doing something, you know, reaching out, having the conversation. That's, that's key. How does someone know when a relationship is done? Like, when this is not, no, I've tried, the needs aren't being met. That like, how do you, like, really know? Not just think, because, I, I, you know, when I'm hearing incompatibility is a great grounds for a great relationship, but how do you know when it's just not like it's done, it's over? I've been there. Mm. Mm. And so I told Harville that, and he had totally agreed. Um, uh, there were things that I was doing that made marriage miserable for him. And uh, there were things he was doing that made it really hard for me. And we teach, um, especially Harville. I, it was hard for me to be visible. I love teaching this. This is my heart and soul. But I didn't want to teach it, and we weren't doing it at home. And we were not doing it at home, and our kids weren't doing it at home. And we, one therapist said we were the blended family from hell. And, um, they get, and, and we kept firing therapists, and one therapist fired us and said, y'all are impossible. So we had no choice but to go to the divorce court. Yeah, about uh, the, the first 18 years of our marriage was very difficult. And the last, uh, then 18 and 19, we were uh, on the way to the divorce court. So wow. that is talking about that she's been there. So 20 years ago, we turned it around. And so we've had 20 years of great mm-hmm. marriage. So we have been there and we... Um, we announced to our family we were divorcing and we announced globally that we were divorcing and we added the zero negativity process. Uh, mm. after we were packed our bags and we were moving out and that, that saved our marriage. So, yeah. so I, my uh, response to that person who thinks it's over, uh, not necessarily. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I think it's, it's hard to answer that question because it could there, be you're just... There's now a science that has never existed on the planet, in the world, anywhere, that you can teach people how to have a good relationship. It happened with the breakthroughs in the neurosciences in the 1990s for the mm. first time teaching how to love, how to be in a loving relationships. Right. It's a new science of relationship and I get to be married to someone who's great at that and he calls me that and we 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 the problem is it should have been taught in kindergarten yeah Yeah. and certainly when you get a marriage license it it should be like a driver's license you should have to read a manual take a test yes every other day is on duty like if you yeah. There's there are, no education. Yeah. There's no marriage education, and there is now. And safe conversations. We're wanting to get that out into the world. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I, and I think just a short thing about that to, to follow up with it is that um, 
that you that if you if you fell in love, mm. and this is a clue thing. You, the, your unconscious is connected, but your skill set isn't capable of your growing through the incompatibility, mm. and you get tired. And at some point, all of us get tired enough that we say we're going to quit. But it's too bad because without, if you applied a skill, even if you didn't feel good about any, each other anymore. And when we turned our relationship around, we were not excited about each other, but mm. we did this process. Mm. And it changed the environment so that our connecting with each other was restored. Mm. So you just have to know what to do. Mm. And, and when you do that, then you grow. And then you can do things that you couldn't do without that. This is why without without uh, some... Now, I think the only time I've ever said to anybody, who you, you probably should be over, is if there's a repetitive physical, not emotional, but physical abuse, kill each other. If it's just emotional abuse, that's really worse than physical abuse, but people don't usually kill each other with emotions. Yeah. They yeah. Just, um, so you yeah. can how to deal with that but if you're dead you know there's nothing then you can do yeah. so well, with whom it's that bad you should probably you should probably leave but if you're not hitting each other yes we can show you how to reconnect and amazing. fall asleep again amazing but you, have to, but you have to do what we say yeah you gotta do the work yeah <laughs> oh, well, Helen, you know this has been an, a, a really amazing conversation and so enlightening and profound and I know everyone listening in is touched. I want everyone to find out about what you're up to and your work. I mean, as I said, your book many years ago changed my life. And so I know you're doing things now. You have online workshops and you yes. mentioned the online workshop earlier. I just want everyone to have access to what you're doing. I'd love it if you do two things, share how people can find out about you and just share a bit about this workshop so that whoever wants to uh, connect with you can. There are two websites, harvillandhelen.com gives you access to all of the workshops we do for couples and all of the public lectures that we do. Safe Conversations is another workshop, and that's the social movement where we teach uh, masses, large numbers of people how to improve their relationship. We call it learning relational competence. So people can go there, sign up for workshops there, and they can then, if they want to, be trained to give the workshop themselves. We have a training process that will help them do it. We're trying to, as I said, spread it to the planet. Uh, and we have a 20-year project for 3.5 billion people to, re to reach 3.5 billion people in 20 years. That's the tipping point. That's we the tipping point. point of the world's population, then we think everybody else will follow. Anyway, that's our dream. When you sign up for training for Safe Conversation, level one is just learning to do it in your own life mm -hmm. um, or, or in a work context or whatever, you know, at family, at home. And then uh, levels two, three, and four, you can, t you can teach a workshop to someone else. Awesome. One of the ways Harville and I uh, are we're so good at it now, I'm in the merge of my dreams, and it's because we, we – share it with others it reinforces us reinforces it in us so it's really the training is a lot of fun amazing thank you for having us on thank you for coming on it's just uh, a privilege and an honor you both are uh for me an example of possibility of of love so just keep doing amazing work i'll be praying for this vision over the next 20 years Three right. million people uh, will be spreading the word and so just to be clear uh, harvillandhelen.com and then the other website if you could just say that so people can get access again safeconversations.com safeconversations.com folks I want to just encourage you to check, to check out Harville and Helen's work and uh, check out their workshop it's I know it will be amazing indeed um, folks send me an email kublaxon at kublaxon.com I really want to hear your key takeaways from today's uh, inspiring episode uh, also, share this episode with everyone you know. I think everybody needs to know this information. We do not, we are not educated in the art of loving communication and relationship growing up. And I think what Harvard and Helen are doing is really uh, amazing work, foundational work, core work that I think every human being 
needs to partake in. So uh, spread the word about this episode and I look forward to connecting with you in next week's episode of Soul Talk. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.